And uh, I'm going to preach a revelation to you this morning. It's a revelation. This is not a sermon. This is a revelation that actually uh, changed my life forever. Um, some time ago, I was in my study, and my son Carl was about like five or six years of age. And I'm in my study, and all of a sudden, he just practically kicked the door open. He walked into my study. I'm there studying. And uh, no, no, just walked in, and he said, hey, Dad, can you give me money for an ice cream? So I said, yeah, okay, I'll give him money for an ice cream. Thanks, Dad. Off he went out of my study. And as he was walking out, the Holy Spirit said to me, Ray, why can't you be like that with me? I said, what do you mean? He said, imagine if your son, he wanted money for an ice cream. He came in with a request. And money for an ice cream. Imagine if he stood outside your study door and he knocked the door, trembling in fear, afraid to come in. And then the voice from inside said, hello, who's there? And your son said, it's me, dad. You're the ugly little worm called your son. Can I come in? And, and so the door would open and he'd fall on his face and he'd crawl on his hands and knees uh, to get to your feet, and all the way, he's rehearsing all the bad things he did in the week. Dad, I know I'm a stinking worm, and I put the cat on the toilet and pulled the chain. I know that. That's really wrong, and I spat in my sister's dinner last week. I know it's wrong, uh, but if you can find it in your heart to give me money for an ice cream. He said, "How? watch this. He said, as one father to another one. How would you feel? I said, I'd feel terrible. He said, well, how do you think I feel? When my people come before me begging for something, I've already freely given them. He said, go tell my people they can come boldly before my throne of grace to find whatever they need. One of the biggest problems in a believer's life one, if not the biggest, is confidence before God. Is coming before God with confidence. For too long, the church has been a place where a guilty preacher has been telling a guilty congregation how to feel more guilty. Condemnation is Satan's most effective weapon to rob us of our confidence before God. The wonder of covenant, and I'm going to talk to you this morning about the covenant that we have with God, not just an agreement. In our culture, we really haven't got anything. The closest we have is the marriage covenant. But even that doesn't really represent the covenant that we are involved in with God. The wonder of covenant declares there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. How many of you are in Christ Jesus here this morning? There is therefore now. Now means now, now, and it means now tonight, and it means now tomorrow. I declare to you 24-7, you are no condemnation before God. But the problem is, and I love this verse in First John chapter 3, I love this verse, and then we're going to get into something. I want you to stay with me, and then we're going to see Jesus heal the sick. 
First John chapter 3, verse 20. Even if we feel guilty. Now, if I asked anyone this morning, do you feel guilty about something? My hand would go up. Every single person in this building, if I was to say to you, we're going to come before God now, do you feel guilty about something? Every single one of us would say yes. And here's the problem. We think we have to approach God emotionally. No, God is saying, approach, approach me revelationally. Feeling guilty is a natural acceptance with many Christians. Watch this. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. And he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him. The, the word obey there, I mean, there's only one command in the New Testament, and that's our obedience to believe him. And do the things that please him. And this is his commandment, that we believe. How many believers do we have in the house here? The wonder of covenant is that because of Jesus' finished work, it totally delivers us from a guilty conscience before God. Um, as, a, as a believer, because I've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, I should, I should not allow guilt to control my life for one second. That's the heritage of the saints. The problem is we find it very hard to believe. Our confidence before God is not the sacrifice we make. It's the sacrifice we trust. When the angel of death came through the streets of Egypt, God commanded the angel of death, when you see the blood on the outside of the doorpost, it means the people inside have believed me. They've believed my command to take a lamb, slay it, take the blood, put it on the outside. Anyone inside that house who's done that believes in my provision for them. And he said to the angel of death, when you pass through the streets and you see the blood on the doorpost, when you see the blood, pass over. He didn't say, go inside and check the behavior of the people first. Somebody help me in this place right here. And it also it says, uh, it didn't say when they see the blood. God says, when I see it, and I declare to you, when Jesus looks at you right here this morning, as imperfect as you are, as failed as you are, as guilty as you feel, he sees you absolutely perfect. Amen. So, so, so I want you to get that. that this is like, a, a, like a, a, a prelude. You have to approach God's word this way. Otherwise, the power of God won't operate. What about, uh, uh, what you're about to hear will change your life forever. It will deliver you from the lie of condemnation and cause you to come boldly before God. I'm going to read 
First Samuel chapter 18. In fact, when I was pastoring here for 25 years, every year I'd preach this message. And we're going to read First uh, Samuel chapter 18. Excuse the croakiness. I've got, I need healing myself. So I've got a bit of a bar chest. But my spirit is alive. Hallelujah. First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 18. Are you still with me? Say amen here. First Samuel chapter 18. Let's, let's, let's understand this whole concept of covenant. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. Everybody say covenant. Because he loved him as his own soul. Got a bit more fallback up here, a bit more treble on it, mate. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, David and Jonathan were doing something, were cutting a covenant uh, to human beings, to Hebrews, and it was, very, it, was a, it was a very common custom for two guys to do this. So David and Jonathan entered into a covenant. Now, they went through a process. They went through a procedure. And uh, what would normally happen, two men would meet together in an open field Surrounded by witnesses. On this occasion, it was just David and Jonathan. They met in an open field. They were about to enter into a covenant. So they went through a procedure. The first thing they did, uh, and these verses indicated, they took off their coats and exchanged their coats. The, the symbolism is in the coat. The coat represented the character of the man. So if I gave you my coat, I was giving you my character. And so they exchanged coats. The, the, the second thing in the procedure was they would exchange belts. On the belt, that's where the weapons were. The sword, the spear, all the fighting weapons were on the belt. So they exchanged belts, declaring to one another, my strength. I give to you this day all my strength. If somebody comes against you to harm you, then this day I promise you to come to your aid. I give you my strength. They're not just fighting you. They're fighting me too. Then they would get some animals and they would split them down the backbone. Sometimes they would get some birds. They would split them down the backbone. Every time you read this in the Old Testament, it's always connected with covenant. Every time an animal is sacrificed uh, in, in two halves. So they were, when they, they cut them in half, so there was a wall of blood here and a wall of blood here. What they were saying to each other was, this day I die to my rights. I no longer live for myself. But now I'm obligating myself to live for you. Is there anybody out there? Some of you are miles ahead of me, but stay with me because when you get this, ladies, you'll have hair growing on your chest. Watch this. Then, then they would turn away from each other and they would do a figure eight walk. And they would meet back in the middle. The figure eight was the sign of infinity. No beginning. No ending. 
And what they were saying to each other, what they were covenanting to each other was this. If you die before me, I am obligating myself to meet the needs of your children. Then they would take a knife and very carefully they would cut the palm of their hand and they would, they would seal the covenant with blood and they would strike their hands together and the blood would mingle and they were saying to each other, I'm going to... I'm going to bless you even if it kills me. I'm going to bless you even if it means giving my life for your blessing. Come on, somebody. You're, 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 um, but when you get this, I tell you, it, it'll change your life. Then they would get the same knife. They would heat it up and they would cauterize the wound. And by cauterizing the wound, that, that mark, of covenant would be a reminder to the person I'm not just living for myself but I'm living for somebody else not only that but it was a reminder to an enemy when he came against him he would just lift up his hand the enemy would see the mark of covenant and they would say who hold on a bit here Let's think twice about attacking this person because we don't know the strength and the size of his covenant partner. Are you still with me? Then they would sit down, have a meal, and they would exchange names. Now, that's the ritual David and Jonathan went through. And it was a ritual that was in place... Uh, even before the time of Abraham, it was something they did. Uh, and there were other covenants. There was the salt covenant. There's, but this was the one. The blood covenant was the one that gave the other person confidence that he had someone in his life to back him up. Now, uh, I was trying to understand all this, how it applied to me uh, as a Christian. And... Uh, I was reading a newspaper, and I read this story about an Arabian uh, businesswoman and an English businesswoman. And this English businesswoman went to Arabia, some nation in, in Arabia, uh, to set up some business. And she became very friendly with this Arabian businesswoman, really close. So the Arabian businesswoman said, Let's become blood sisters. Now, she was from Pontadawi. They didn't know, you know. Uh, what do you mean a blood sister? Uh, and, and she explained. And, and they went through a ritual very similar to this. And the, uh, the English girl, she went through the ritual because she didn't want to offend her friend. And uh, <clears throat> came back to the UK. And uh, in a couple of months, her business went belly up. She lost her money. She lost her property. She lost everything. She just lost everything in a couple of days. And she just happened to send uh, a message to her friend in Arabia telling her about the situation and, you know, going through a tough time. Three days later, knock on the door. 
She opened the door, and here was the Arabian girl standing on the doorstep. The business that the English girl said, what are you doing? She said, I'm here. I said, but, but she said, why have you traveled all the way from, from Arabia to be here? Well, she said, you have a need. Well, I know that, but you could have sent a letter or say, you know, hope everything's okay. No, don't you remember? We entered into a covenant with each other. And the essence of the covenant is this. If you have a need, and I have the means to meet the need, I'm obligating myself, irrelevant what you think, I'm obligating myself to meet your need. Well, she said, my father owns 20 oil wells. I've got the spondulux. I've got the shacks. I am absolutely loaded. That Arabian girl stayed in the country, paid off all her debt, paid her bills, set her up in business, bought her new properties, and she didn't leave to go back home until she absolutely knew that her covenant sister needs were covered. Come on, somebody, say amen right here. Now stay with me, because this is powerful. <clears throat> now I've said all that to say this. I had to lay that foundation to explain to you how deep this covenant procedure is. Now here's the deal. God looked down from heaven and he said, I want to enter into a covenant with another human being. We didn't ask God for the covenant. God looked down and said, I want to find someone that I can give myself away to. And he looked down and he found a guy called Abram. A-B-R-A-M. Abram did not merit a visitation from God. Abram worshipped the moon god, Nana. He was an idolater. But God said, him. So when you see people like Dave up here, you say, now I understand how God can use people. Do you know what I'm saying? It's God's choice. So God said, God said, Abram, A-B-R-A-M. I want to enter, so he came to Abraham, got him out of this idolatrous situation. I mean, he's still reeling from this. Abraham is thinking, what have I done to deserve this? God just took me out. He's blessing me. And then he brought him to the land of Canaan, the promised land. And he was about to give Abraham something that he didn't deserve. Now watch this. <clears throat> so God said, <clears throat> excuse me, so God said, Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you, everybody say give you, to give you this land. You see all this land? Not only have I got you out of that mess, but now I'm going to give you all this. You aren't going to earn it. You, you haven't got to please me for it. I'm going to give you the whole shebang because it's my choice. It, it, it doesn't depend upon your faithfulness. 
It doesn't depend upon the depth of your love towards me. I'm going to give it to you. Now watch this. So Abraham knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew he was an absolute plonker. He knew that he didn't deserve any of this. And this is Abraham's, Abraham's response to a God who says, I'm going to give you this for nothing. He said, but Abraham said, you can read it in Genesis 15. But Abraham said, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I be sure that I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy this promise? You see, God, I'm human. And you've got me out of this idolatry and you're giving me all this land and I know I don't deserve it. And I'm going to get some self-doubt, some serious self-doubt. When I mess up, when I sin, when I fail, when I beat myself up, when I get guilty feelings. Uh, can, you, can you give me something to stand on? To give me this confidence that I know in spite of my imperfection, you'll still come through for me. And God says, okay, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. Are you still here? Stay, stay with me. This is so powerful. Now, Abraham knew what God meant. You see, God always comes down to our level. He was coming down to Abraham's level. He was about to enter into a covenant with Abraham as if Abraham was entering into a covenant with another guy. So God knew. And, 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 the, and the whole reason was God wanted to instill confidence that he would fulfill his promise even when Abraham was beating himself up with guilt. This is such a wonderful thing. That's why the covenant that we're involved in is so amazing, it's beyond words. God says, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. And God came, now this is wild. The, I mean, when you go home, haven't got time this morning, go to Genesis chapter 15, and you'll find what I'm about to say in that chapter. So here's God, Abraham, God. Okay? Remember the procedure of covenant making. God went through the exact same procedure with Abraham as if Abraham was cutting a covenant with another human. What was the first process? What was the first part in the process? The taking off of the coat. Watch this. In Genesis 15, God says, okay, Abraham, here we go. I am your very great reward. Everything that God is, his character, who he is, is wrapped up in those two words, I am. God was taking his coat off and giving it to Abraham. What was the second part of the procedure? The belts. The sign of strength. Watch this. Genesis 15, 1. Not only am I your great reward, but he said, Abraham, from this day, I am your shield. If anyone comes against you to harm you, I'm obligating myself, irrespective of your faithfulness. 
irrespective of your behavior, I am obligating myself to protect you and stand with you when enemies come against you. That's why David didn't beat Goliath with a stone. and st He didn't beat Goliath with his skill. He beat Goliath because he understood covenant. Come on, somebody say amen. He said to, he said to Goliath, you, you, you come against me with sword and spear. He didn't say, but I come against you because I've trained as a, as a slingshot. No, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, whom you've defied. So covenant is strong. David knew God was on his side. What was the next part of the ritual? The cutting of the animals in two. Read it in Genesis 15. He said, Abraham, get some doves, get some, uh, some animals, and cut them down the backbone. Uh, and so here was Abraham standing between two walls of blood. He was familiar with this procedure. Huh. And what was the significance of that? Abraham, I'm obligating myself. To declare to you, I'm going to bless you even if it kills me. I'm going to make sure that my promises come through for you even if it costs me my life. Come on, somebody say amen right here. Now watch this because this is getting fantastic here. Man, I'm going to get saved after this service again just to make sure. And then, and then, and then. Abraham is thinking, okay, now the next part is the figure eight walk. How am I going to do the figure eight walk and then cut the covenant with God? I'm a human. And as Abraham was trying to figure this out, God put him to sleep. <laughs> I love it. God put him to sleep. The only thing that Abraham did to ratify the covenant was snore. That's it. He was snoring. Watch this. But somebody had to do the figure eight walk and cut the covenant. I love it. While Abraham was sleeping, God woke him up for a second. And the first thing Abraham did was look towards the, the sacrifice. And this is what the Bible says in Genesis 15. And he saw a blazing pot and a smoking torch pass between the center of the animals. Somebody else was cutting the covenant on Abraham's behalf. I believe right there. He saw the Lord Jesus, the presence of God. He saw the Lord Jesus cutting the covenant with Almighty God on Abraham's behalf. Come on, somebody say amen. And he say, Ray, do you have a scripture for that? Yeah, I do actually. It actually says in Galatians 3, 8, uh, Jesus actually said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Uh, in, in Galatians 3, 8, it says, God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. So right there, and this is wild, the figure eight walk, the covenant was cut. What's the figure eight walk indicative of? Infinity. So God said, Abraham, what, this is where we come into it. <laughs> Watch this. So he said, Abraham, 
if you die before me, God speaking to Abraham. And there's a very strong possibility, Abraham, that's not going to happen. Do you know what I'm saying? But if, if, uh, if, sorry, if, if, no, yeah. So if I, you know what I mean. So if you, if you die before me, not only do the terms of this covenant apply to you, but I'm obligating myself to meet the needs of your seed. I'm obligating myself to meet the need of your children. Covenant says, whenever you lack, I will supply. And here's what blew me away. The last part of the covenant was sitting down, having a meal, and exchanging names. That's where we get our marriage covenant from, where we exchange names. Watch this. Abram, the Old Testament name for God was written in a way you couldn't pronounce it. They hallowed the name of God so well, so, so they revered it so much, they wouldn't even say it. But the equivalent would be uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, or the letters were Y-H-W-H. That's how it was written. Y-H-W-H. Watch this. Abram. No longer will they call you Abram. But God took the out of his name and he breathed it into Abram's name. From this day forward, they're going to call you Abraham. No longer are they going to call your wife Sarai. But God took the breath out of his life and breathed it in and said, they're going to call your wife Sarai. And from that moment on, it's an exchange of names. Check it out in the Bible. From that moment on, the God El Shaddai, the God Almighty, was known as the God of Abraham. Come on, somebody say amen. I want to tell you something. When you got saved, not only were your sins forgiven, but God took of His very nature and breathed it into your nature. Listen, old things have passed away. All things have become new. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. We are partakers of the divine nature. And we need to get excited about it. Can we give Jesus some praise in this house right here? I'm bringing this to a close. <clears throat> I'm croaking my way through it, but you can hear me clear, can you? That's fine. I've got to lay this foundation because you may say, but Ray, that's old covenant and Abraham and and all this stuff. You see, God's ultimate plan was not just to give himself away to a man or to a nation, but his ultimate plan was to give himself, to promise himself to the whole world. And this is why the covenant is once you get this, once you get it, get the podcast, listen to it again and again and again and again. Because when we were dead in our sins, I was in a cinema. I don't know where you were, but the Holy Spirit woke me up for a second. And I saw a smoking pot and a blazing torch. 
I saw the cross of Jesus. I saw someone cutting a covenant with God on my behalf. And the Bible says in Galatians 3 verse 18, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. What's this? He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And this is the one I love. Galatians 3, 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Come on, somebody say, if you belong to Christ. What did God promise Abraham? If you die before me, I am obligating myself. Irrespective of our faithfulness, our behavior, our love for him. He says, I'm obligating myself to meet the needs, Abraham, of your seed. And my Bible tells me, if I'm in Christ, I am Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Come on, you need to give praise to Jesus right here. Now, I'm bringing this to a close. I'm bringing this to a close. Because I had all this information. Um, this was years ago, and I still couldn't get it. And then one day I'm, I'm driving up on, on the A449 up there. I'll never forget it. And it went from my head into my heart. The tears began to flow down my face. I had to pull over onto the side of the road when I realized. And you know, the older I'm getting, uh, and, and the more I'm in relationship with Jesus, you know what? The simpler it's becoming. Amen. Watch this. So I'm going to finish with this and apply it. Then we are going to believe that you're going to get healed. Do you know what? As I've been preaching, God's already started the process of healing in your body. Some of you are feeling it in your body right now. Some of you are sensing, my God, my God, even though I feel guilty, it's got no relevance to what God has promised to do for me. Absolutely. And so David and Jonathan cut the covenant and they separated. And the story goes that Jonathan died, his father died, Saul. And David was riding back into Jerusalem to claim the throne. And he's riding back in with his army. And they're standing on the, the walls of, of Jerusalem and they can see David coming. And they start to panic because everybody in Jerusalem was uh, aligned with Saul and Jonathan. And David was about to come back into Jerusalem to kill his enemies. They knew it. They saw David coming. Panic went right through the streets of Jerusalem. They were running. They were screaming. David is coming. David is coming. We've got to get out of here. And people were pushing and shoving and screaming and running. And in a nursery somewhere, in the west of Jerusalem, there was a little woman who had care of a little boy. And the little boy's name was Mephibosheth. She picked him up and she ran and she ran. And something must have happened because the baby fell out of her arms onto the floor and broke both legs. She picked him up, legs broken, 
and ran and ran to a place in the desert called Lodibar. And this little boy, Mephibosheth, was Jonathan's son. Watch this. So here was Jonathan, raised in Lodibar. And he was taught his legs never healed. And he was taught day after day, do you know what? David is your worst enemy. Man, you are of the house of Saul. If he finds you, you are dead. And, and, uh, and they, would, they would paint this picture of David as an ogre, as an angry, vicious man. And all his life he grew up, little child, young man, with this picture in his mind that if David ever gets me, it's going to be the worst day of my life. Well, one day, David was up on the rooftop worshiping Yahweh. Perhaps one of the sleeves of his tunic slipped. And he saw the mark of covenant. And he says, is there anybody left from the house of Saul? And one, one soldier said, yeah, uh, Jonathan has a son. And he lives down in Lodibar. So David said, bring him to me. So they went down to Lodibar. And the, the lookout on the walls of Lodibar, they saw the sun uh, shine off the armor of David's bodyguard. And they started to scream again, David is coming. David is coming. Panic went throughout Lodibar. And Mephibosheth heard those words, David, my worst enemy. I've got to get out of here. But he couldn't walk. And then as he was struggling probably to get out of the house, the door was kicked open. The captain of David's bodyguard was there. Is there anyone in this house called Mephibosheth? Fear went right through his body. He buried his head in the dust and he said, it's me. They put him on a horse. They rode up to Jerusalem. Can you imagine the thoughts going around Mephibosheth's mind? My worst enemy is going to cut my head off. I'm, it's gonna, it, this is not going to be good. They rode into the gates of Jerusalem, right into the palace door, right into the very throne room where David was sitting, regaled in his royal robes. And they threw this pathetic heap on the floor, shaking. David said, is your name Mephibosheth? Now, I'm relating uh, probably... Couldn't even answer because the fear was so strong. Hello, are you Mephibosheth? Without raising his head, Mephibosheth, quivering voice said, yes, King David, it's me. He said, Mephibosheth, look at me. Mephibosheth looked up at David covered in dust, uh, looking into the enemy's eyes. This man that he'd been taught was his worst enemy. He was a tyrant. He was about to rip him apart. Now he was looking into his enemy's eyes and his eyes were dancing with fear. And then David smiled. And he pulled up the sleeve of his tunic. And he said, Mephibosheth, do you know what these are? You're thinking, is this a trick question? <laughs> yeah, everybody knows what this is, David. You're in covenant with someone. And everything you have is theirs. And Yeah, I know. He said, Fib, can I call you Fib? 
Who do you think that person is? He says, I don't know. He says, your dad, Jonathan, Mephibosheth, everything I have is yours. The only thing that can release me from my obligation to you is if you say no. Is it a yes? <laughs> or is it a no? I can imagine Mephibosheth. Yeah, I've been eating lizard and toast for 25 flipping years. <laughs> I guess, yes! They took him in. They took him in to the king's palace. They carried him in. First place he went was the fridge. He was in there. He grabbed it, man. He said, he took it out. He was stuffing his face, sweet and sour pork. No, it wouldn't be that. It'd be like chicken or something. And he'd be eating and stuffing it and, and chocolate gato and everything. He's stuffing. He's enjoying this. And somebody, I can imagine, in, <coughs> in the king's palace who'd been there for years. They'd look at this scruffy, smelly man with a strange name. And they said, give me that chicken. That's my flipping chicken. What, what do you do? What gives you the right to come in here as if you own the place. We've been here for years. You come in first day, smelling, scruffy. You haven't even washed. We don't even know your name. What gives you the right? And Mephibosheth didn't answer, didn't argue. Just wiped his face. And he said, don't argue with me, baby. Go and ask David why he's got the marks on his hand. Here's the punchline. You've come here today, James. You've come here today. And you've had feelings of guilt and feelings of doubt. And you're beating yourself up because you haven't been the best husband. You haven't been the best wife. You haven't been the best dog. You haven't been, you, you, you haven't been the best Christian. You haven't been the best employee. And you're beating yourself up. And you're looking at your performance. And the devil's jumped on the back of that and says, what gives you the right to go to church on Sunday morning and ask God to heal you? You're a pathetic little worm. You don't deserve it. Your behavior is rubbish. What gives you the right to go to church on Sunday morning and expect God to heal you? Well, we, wait for this, wait for this. No, no, no. We, we, we just wipe our face and we look smack dab in the devil's face. And we say, devil, I don't deserve it. I've messed up. I'm all what you say you are and worse probably. But listen, don't argue with me. Go and ask Jesus why he's got the marks on his hands. And go and ask Jesus why he's got the marks in his side. And go and ask Jesus why he's got the marks on his head. Go and ask Jesus. And I'm telling you, that is the reason why you are going to get healed this morning. And that's the only reason. Ha. Somebody say amen right here. Watch this. Watch this. We're nearly through. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you can memorize that, everything that happens in my life is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And every single sickness and disease in this room has been paid for 
by blood by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And God has, ob now watch this, I I I'm going to pray in just a moment. From that moment on, after that covenant with Abraham, his name Jehovah, whenever God came to his people says, I am Jehovah, they would stand up with ears pricked up because they realized what comes next. Jehovah is God's covenant name. So when he says, I am Jehovah, they listen very intently because what comes next is what they're entitled to. I am Jehovah. Whenever they felt rejected, he would say, I am Jehovah Shammah. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When they uh, needed peace, he would say, I am Jehovah Shalom. When they needed guidance, he, he would say, I am Jehovah Ra, your shepherd. When they needed deliverance, he would say, I am Jehovah Nisi. When they needed to live without guilt, he would say, I am Jehovah Sid Kenyu, your righteousness. When they needed provision, he would say, I am Jehovah Jireh, not Jairo, Jireh. I am Jehovah Jireh. Come on, somebody say, Dave said it this morning. When they needed provision, and watch this, and when they needed healing, he said, I am Jehovah Rapha, your doctor. Come on, somebody say amen. Raise your expectation here. You say, Ray, I can't remember all the names now. Which was the one for the money? Which was that one? Now listen, in the new covenant, God has made it so easy because he's wrapped up all those names into one name. And at the name of Jesus, we get God's attention. Come on, I can't shout. You better shout. Come on, you better shout, musicians. Now give the Lord a big clap. Somebody give him a big clap. Give him a big clap right here. <coughs> Just stand with me right now. Have you received the word this morning? Trust me, if you marinate your heart with this revelation, you will never have a problem with guilt again. So why is Jesus going to heal you? Because he's promised he would by blood. Nothing to do with your behavior, good or bad. It's not the sacrifice we make. It's the sacrifice we trust. It's totally and absolutely, even now as I'm speaking, the power of God is moving through people's bodies right here. Jesus, thank you. For this amazing revelation, we pick it up again next week.